This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. And we are right now... Let me see if I can get myself together here. We are um, awaiting uh, perhaps the patching in of Ted Yoho. He's in route somewhere. Man stays on the go. We got to hand it to him. And he's contacted me early this morning and said he may be a little bit late. So we'll continue and look for him as he taps into us. We are, of course, in the Melton Law Studio, the piney woods of uh, North Central Florida, God's country. And we're protected by crime prevention 24-7, 365. And got a great uh, cast of characters here supporting us and businesses and people donating. And it's getting bigger. We've got a few more coming on. Uh, Poser MD just came in, as did Locasio's Allstate Insurance. So uh, if we suddenly have an, uh, a connection with uh, Representative Ted Yoho, well, you'll be the first to know it. Got a lot of positive discussion yesterday from our um, interview with uh, um, Ed Polarski. That story is doing very well out on Amazon. I suggest you uh, take an effort to get a hold of it and take a look at it and um, understand what it's all about. It's really a story of um, common sense versus the ideology, cult-like life of the uh, liberal left and their fascination with uh, abstract ideas and their unwillingness to uh, listen to anybody and debate in an honest fashion and uh, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's really a sad story in that respect. And in this case, it's been very costly in Gainesville. Very, very costly. And it will continue to be costly. Uh, some of the numbers that Edward was quoting yesterday are pretty significant numbers. Uh, they just don't go away. And uh, of course, it costs the businesses that uh, pay the commercial rates, costs the school system um, that has to pay for power. Um, the University of Florida is never going to buy power from GRU. That was always a pipe dream that the University of Florida had, or uh, that uh, GRU had. Uh, the city commission, not GRU, the city commission. Oh, maybe we'll go over and sell power to Florida. They're not going to bite on that. That's not going to happen. I mean, come on, are they nuts? They're not going to do that. So that's the story. Uh, the book, as you know, is called The City That Laws Control. Uh, pretty interesting. Um, think about that. Uh, a city just completely loses control because it's got all these know-it-alls that can't get along, think they understand the fine print, uh, these young not yet dry behind the ear kids like Brian Eastman uh, or the racial card being played uh, by the black representatives. They always play the racial card. 
you know, that, that sort of thing is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's old hat, but it works. Let me just segue over here to a story that just came out on Breitbart that um, California, of course, California, keep your eye on them because their governor is being warmed up to step in for Biden should Biden stumble. That's pretty well known that that's the backup strategy. California state legislature, this came out on Breitbart by a moment ago, is considering a bill that would allow judges, and get this, I'm going to read this slowly. Joe Pollock wrote it, excellent writer. We interviewed him on the Words God Files once. The California state legislature is considering a bill that would allow judges to use sentencing in criminal cases to, quote, rectify racial bias, end quote, in the criminal justice system. You know, if you go over to the mugshots on wordscottfiles.com, yes, most are black. Not all. There's no bias about how those pictures appear. You do the crime, you get arrested. Doesn't necessarily mean you do the time. So now, I'm going to bring it before the California State Legislature. Bill, as if they didn't already do it, would allow judges to use sentencing in criminal cases to rectify racial bias. Uh, This bill is AB 852. It passed the State Assembly in May and is currently going through the committee process in the California State Senate. Now, California just let out of prison one of the uh, women who was in on the Helper Skelter, Bianca. It's awful. But Charles Manson let that woman out. I don't get it. Did away with the death penalty. So the state assembly in May is currently going through the committee process in the state Senate. And it notes that existing law already allows defendants to challenge their sentences as racially biased. But it would add that judges can consider race in sentencing. This is the reparation state. I'm going to get into that in a minute. We'll talk about this until if and when Ted gets on. Now, this bill was introduced in February. Uh, I'm a representative out of Los Angeles. And is intended to be a part of the quote-unquote reparations package reparations package, which we're going to get into. I'll be waiting on Ted. Now, here's section one. 17.3 is going to be added to the penal code. 17.3a says, it is the intent of the legislature to rectify 
rectify the racial bias that has historically permeated our criminal justice system as documented by the California Task Force to study and develop reparation proposals for African Americans. You know, the cons must be thinking they died and went to heaven. The cons see the straights as just a bunch of fools. Let them go for it. The con would think. I had two great friends for prison writers. One, of course, was Don Pierce, wrote Kuhan Luke. The other was a fellow named Malcolm Bradley, wrote On the Yard out of San Quentin. Brilliant guys. Criminals don't care about this kind of stuff. I mean, they've got rap sheets. It's one of their professional resumes. They have a rap sheet. Section B of 17.3. Whenever the court has discretion to determine the appropriate sentence according to relevant statutes and the sentencing rules of the Judicial Council, the court presiding over a criminal matter shall consider the disparate impact. Again, here we go. The disparate impact on historically disenfranchised and here goes one of these great terms, hyphenated term, system impacted populations. Have you heard that one before? Anybody out there heard that one before? That's a new one on me. A system impacted population. And somebody, maybe Jody Davis should check, check. Maybe explain that to me, Jody. What is a system impacted population? Now, it's unclear whether the law is constitutional. I don't think that ever bothers these people. Under either the California state constitution which bars the state from using race for the purposes of affirmative action or under the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution. Constitution. I like to say it the way Lloyd Bailey says it. Constitution. The law also does not specify whether allowing judges to, quote, rectify racial bias, end quote, would allow them to impose lighter sentences 
on black and Latino defendants. See, Latino is going to get in on this, even though. Do they fall under the reparations thing anyway? Or tougher sentences on white and Asian descendants, defendants. Oh, boy. You know, if there's anything you can learn from Ed Blarsky's book, The City That Lost Control, you can learn how poorly prepared, quite often, representatives in a democratic political system are to perform the job at a high standard. In the city of Gainesville, I don't think there are any. I don't really think there are any at the Lachlan County Commission either. So, where does this stuff come from? California is already suffering from a crime wave that is hardly a result of lenient prosecution. Now you want to make it more lenient. Reform-minded district attorneys by the way, many of whom have been backed by George Soros. That's a niche, you know, he went around financing. Liberal district attorneys. You can't make this stuff up. You really can't make it up. Waiting around on, see if we get connected with Ted Yoho. En route somewhere, I believe, as we know. I want to follow up on this story, if I could find here in the Midnight Auto Yard. What we've got here. I thought I had another one. I do have another one here about this. Do you, you are familiar, I'm sure, with one of the guys I really like. Um, and that is, of course, uh, the black writer for the Wall Street Journal, Jason Riley. I, I think you know, I think he's got a first rate mind. Thomas Sowell, these guys. Jason Riley's got a couple of articles. He's really troubled by this reparation stuff. And back in June, I put it in the midnight auto yard. And Jason's got a great mind. I mean, he really can think through the complications of an issue. Back in June, he wrote an article for the journal in his column titled The Trouble with Reparations for Redlining. 
And he said that New York has followed California's lead and has passed a bill to create, yes, a reparations task force. And now New Jersey and Vermont are considering similar measures. You know, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Let me just show you a couple. Let me get over here my midnight on the You heard me talk about it's settled in here. Gene Genovese. Here's a book I, I, I uh, suggest you read. The World the Slaveholders Made. This has got a thorough analysis, as you might expect, of slave systems in European antecedents. Is a title of one section. Very thorough. Very thorough. And in many cases, and we've talked about this, Slavery was monstrous in theory, but humane in practice. Slavery was not racism. Racism is different. Racism was in the North. Until you get, of course, the fallout after the defeat of the South, you have to look at what sections of the past you're looking at. I'm going to get into that. I see Ted's checking on right now. So I've got a convenient place to continue this story at some point. Um, I do want to get into that. Hello, Ted. Hey, what's happening? Oh, I just been shooting the bull till you got on here. <laughs> well, that was a natural. Some things come naturally, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know how that goes. Uh, uh, I was just talking about something that irks a lot of people. You don't have to pick up on it, but it's uh, reparations. And uh, California has got a bill now. I'm mine too. Huh? Go ahead. California's got a bill now where they want to uh, make the judicial system take into account a racial bias when it sentences uh, a black guy. <laughs> you know, and now New York is picking up on this. I was just sure. covering this. Vermont, uh, uh, you know, New Jersey, you know. I swear, I swear, my brother. I, I, well, there's a, the lunacy has to come to an end. I mean, it just has to come to an end. We, we can't keep going down this. And these are things that are used to divide this nation. And they're doing that to break it down. And again, you get, I sound like a broken record. It's the fundamental transformation of Barack Obama that he's been very, very successful at. And Joe Biden's trying to put the final nails in the coffin. Um, where does it stop? Um, you know, we had a civil war, 700,000 people died to get rid of slavery. We had the civil rights struggle. We went through all these struggles. And if you compare today's racism compared to back then, um, we're so farther away from where we were in a better nation. But yet the left and the Democrats and the communists are pulling us back in there. But who you're seeing really coming out racist is the other side. And, um, you know, we can't go down this road. And, uh, 
you know, reparations was paid for. It was called the Civil War. And um, I had an argument, not an argument, what turned into kind of an argument with one of my um, yeah. colleagues when I was in Congress. And um, she was saying how the blacks are being held back in this country. And I says, do you really believe that? She goes, absolutely. And she goes, um, her and her mom had to pick cotton. And I says, I had a lot of produce when I was a kid on trucks. And I said, nobody's holding anybody back in this country other than themselves. We have so much opportunity in here, but we're starting to lose opportunity because we've got to play all these silly, silly games of wokeism, transgenderism, and all this all this stuff. And, um, you know, it's time we come together as Americans, unite as Americans, um, and let's look at the good this country has done and can do. But if we sit there and focus on these things that will never be resolved, um, we're going to have some tough ways to go. And, there, you know, it's just not going to build a strong country. And you have to think of the projection it does to other countries looking at us. Um, you know, what they're looking at America as a very confused state, and they look at it as not the United States of America. They look at it as the divided States of America. And our strength comes from being united. You know, uh, to follow up on what you're saying, I, I assume, are you in D.C.? Yeah, I'm in D.C., and I'm in a little cubby here. Are you Are you in timeout? <laughs> yeah, I'm in timeout. Yeah, John Boehner would have put me in here, Kevin McCarthy, too. Oh, my um, golly. But, uh, you know, when you're a congressman and you go, you're in your last term and you they know you're getting out, whether you lost or you retire. They put you in a room about this big. <laughs> you've got you've got no staff. I mean, you're in a little cubby room, and you've got you know all your stationery if you want to write a letter or something. Uh, that's how important you are when you are exiting. <laughs> you know, uh, Jason Riley, whom I think a lot of, writes in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, yeah, he's got an article here. I pulled out of the Midnight Auto Yard. Uh, my you know, where I keep my articles. I work around to get to. I'll just read a little bit out of back of what you're saying. Positive black economic trends undermine the liberal argument that we live in a society stacked against certain racial and ethnic minority groups. So these trends tend to get played down or spun to advance the left wing agenda. Absolutely. And then he comes forth with data, which, you know, the left wing agenda doesn't. Um, he says last week's jobs report put black unemployment in June at 6%. This was Bloomberg and Reuters and other news outlets were quick to note that this was the second consecutive month that black unemployment had increased. Uh, and it's right there with uh, competing uh, with uh, white uh, uh, unemployment. They're neck and neck. I mean, um, the black unemployment rate is 58.9%, 1.5% points lower than the white rate of 604 which is a historically narrow gap. But you don't hear about that. No, because it doesn't fit their narrative. You know, they want to keep that narrative out there to keep people mad and inflamed. And, you know, you talk to the successful black people, the people out there working, uh, got their own business, or they're just progressing in life. They don't see racism. They don't see it. They see it as a land of opportunity. You look at your Asian culture, your Latino culture, you know, you uh, Muslim cultures, they come over here and they the ones that want to succeed, they're succeeding. You know, it comes down to the basics. You have opportunity and you do that dirty four-letter word called work 
and you just move to get ahead, you know, and I know you and I, I know myself and my wife, we worked two and three jobs <clears throat> right after, well, when we were young and then when we got married, we were doing two or three jobs continually, you know, to better our lives, you know, to go to school and things like that. And, you know, what's wrong with that? I mean, that builds character, builds work ethics. And it, it, it really gives you a sense of pride when you step back and say, man, look where we came from. Look what we did. He writes that last month, the rate was 62.6% for blacks and 62.3% for whites. So oh, that is a narrow margin. Yeah, more black employment than there is the white. Uh, another point that was made in this article, I thought was pretty darn interesting. He takes into, he takes the task. Think about this now, Ted. He said that we should learn not to keep interest rates too low for too long because that hurts millions of low-income Americans. And this is his logic. Low-income rates play a major role, therefore, in the credit boom and subsequent financial crisis because the progressives tell the borrowing people you can afford the down payment on the mortgages, but then those down payments are paid back with dollars worth less, you know, because of the inflation that the left is creating. No, I agree with that. Um, the the way they change and manipulate our, our mortgage rates or our interest rates, um, it's not... I know, I'm not an economist, but I do know some basics. And when you look at when you raise the interest rates, I mean, you and I remember the Carter years when interest rates got up at 14%. We bought our first house at 14%, and um, uh, we eventually got it paid off. But when they start doing that, and then you throw in printing the money, as they print more money, the value of that goes down. And of course, as inflation goes up, you have less buying purchasing power. And, um, you know, you want consistency in all your policies, tax policies, monetary policies. And if you go back to the start of the inflation, it was when um, Biden, uh, President Biden, uh, went after the energy policies in this country. That's when it started, although they want to blame Putin. But when they went after our energy independence, that's when inflation started because oil affects everything in the economy. And then they blame it on everybody else. And then they have to go in there and say, well, we have to raise interest rates. And it seems like every time they do that, it makes the economy worse. Yeah, and to your point, Jason Riley writes that loose monetary policy really winds up widening the social inequality gap. And that's what oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, really. Well, we got Ted Joe yeah. in a timeout little room in DC. He's been a bad boy there, I guess. <laughs> kidding around, kidding around. Uh, yeah. when you lean again. When, when you lean back, I think you broke up a little bit. You might be a little bit too far away from your mic, um, Ted. Yeah, I'm just noting that. As okay. I think that's better. Um, but, you know, right. Zach can tell more on the production end of it. I heard it breaking up. Anyway, uh, we've got a good audience here watching and listening. On the chat box here, if you guys got anything you want to talk about, uh, we're going to be back in a minute after we do our weather. Uh, Ted is in D.C., uh, he is as steady as the rising and setting sun. 
he uh, he checks in with me, and I check. Yeah. In with him. Um, we really believe in might what be a little doing. late every now and then, yeah, but I think we really believe in what we're doing, Ted. That's what keeps us together. I believe. Um, you know, we're not uh, uh, doing this to get rich for sure. You know, we're doing this because we really believe in the the voice getting out there and the opinions being shared. So we appreciate all of you sponsors and people who tune in. Absolutely. We'll be back in just a moment. Your sponsorship is growing. It has grown a little bit. It has grown a little bit. Every little bit helps, man. Uh, And, uh, you know, when you're out there stirring the pot, so to speak, some people want to hide behind the curtain and not be up front. The others do. So if you see guys here on this uh, marquee here, they've got real – uh, you know, they, they're not they're not intimidated. Style cuts and uh, shoot GTR and, uh, you know, all these people you see lining up with us. Um, they're in the trenches with us. And uh, we talked about this yesterday. I don't know if you knew yesterday that we interviewed Ed Belarski. Uh, he's got a book out. No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I can send you a link to it. Very interesting uh, interview about the name of his book. And it's third right now on the Amazon list is the city that lost control Ted's and uh, he goes through the whole saga of how the biomass and the liberal ideology uh, finally culminated in the governor taking over it's quite a story it's pretty interesting we talked about it for an hour so but it is I told Ed yesterday Ted it's a microcosm what's going on in the country Uh, I read the article the other day I don't want to get into our break too much but the unions actually, ironically, are mad at Biden because he's giving all this money to electric cars to the corporate ownership. You know, I mean, they are. And in addition to that, um, in the in the um, Build Back Better and the IRA, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, there were carve outs for billions and billions and billions of dollars, probably fifty billion dollars for uh, CO two capture. And I was up in Iowa last Friday and Saturday speaking at an, an event up there um, with Steve King, the former congressman that he and I served together. And when we come back, let us talk about that, because, um, again, it's government dictating the direction of something when there is no need to do that. We'll definitely do that. We're going to break for the weather and come back sure. in a moment uh, and pick up where we are. We'll be right back. All right, files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, 
and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward's Hot Weather Report. Hot Weather Report. Well... It's summer. What do you expect here in Florida? Brought to you by Lewis Oil Fossil Fuel. Wendell Lewis, great supporter of our show. It is hot and it is wet in some places of the country. It's been wet here, but boy, has it ever been incredible in Vermont. It's the worst flood in Vermont in nearly 100 years. You know, we've talked about this before, but the most frightening natural disaster is rising water. Nobody can stop it. Uh, hurricanes go away, earthquakes settle down, rising water keeps coming and coming and coming. You've got two places where it's profoundly affecting. One is in Vermont in that area. The other is in, of course, Los Angeles, where entire high-priced neighborhoods are simply sinking into the earth because of underground rivers, which increased in current during the spring rains in the mountains. Everything is connected. And, you know, we probably are building places we don't need to build, but so be it. Live and learn, right? So Vermont is pretty bad. The temperatures are really hot. Of course, it is all being played out. As you can bet, anytime heat is brought up, that the liberals are going to bang you over the head with climate change, global warming, uh, all that kind of business. Uh Listen, and they always say as records go back. We don't go back that far with the records, believe me. It's been hot before. Listen, we got Ted Yoho here, and uh, I've been uh, prepped by him to ask him a couple of questions, which I'm sitting on the edge of my seat to know about. One, Ted has been up in Iowa. I want to hear all about that because that, once again, mimics in many ways the story that we covered yesterday with Ed Bolarski and the city that lost control of its utility. They lost control of the utility because being driven by ideology over finance. Right. That was the simple matter. Ted, what's that story? How's it playing out in Iowa? Well, you know, it's. I think what you said, they lost the city over political ideologies, and that's what's going on here with the climate and religion 
the ideology of that. And this is something that's uh, not serving America well. You know, there's this whole push around the world and, you know, the climatologists, the climate change people, uh, they're, they're winning on this. They've got so many people convinced and they're doing it because if you believe and you'll do these things in your country, we, the United States government, i.e. the taxpayers, will send you a bunch of money. And so um, the, if you read the CO2 levels, there were times when on the planet, there, uh, CO2 was between five and 7,000 parts per million. We're down around, I think it's 350, 400. Um, and I think it bumped up to 500. I can't tell you the exact number. And it's gone up. Uh, precipitously in the last uh, maybe 50 years, and it's they're saying it's all man-made, and it could be, but man wasn't here, you know, uh, you know, millions of years ago. So what caused the rise of the CO2 back then? So bringing it back to today in Iowa, there's um, there's uh, uh, eminent domain arguments going on because they want to bring in two, three pipelines to capture the CO2 from the ethanol. Um, the biodiesel fuels and the fertilizer and cement plants, and they capture that. And it's good technology. You can do that. And then they're going to pipe it thousands of miles, but it's going right through the, um, the uh, farmlands. I mean, some of these farms have been there for 150 years and it's breaking up the farms and CO2 under pressure is highly toxic. You could have a spill a mile away. And if you inhale it, you can die from it immediately. And so it's very toxic. And then the stuff they pumping, they're pumping through is not purified. So there's a lot of abrasives and a lot of solvents in that mixture of gas. And they say these pipelines are only going to last maybe 10 to 12 years. And they're going to have to be redone again. And so the only reason they're really going in there is because of the trillions of dollars in the uh, IRA bill that Biden uh, passed with the um, uh, Inflation Reduction Act and the um, um, uh, the other bill that they passed, uh, Build Back Better. There was a lot of supplemental money that went in there for climate change mitigation. And so there's a handful of ex-politicians, uh, Tom Vilsack, who's the Secretary of USDA, twice now under Obama, now under Biden. Um, that's why I call it the Biden administration. It's the same players that Obama had. Uh, his son is one of the lobbyists for this oil or this CO2 pipeline. There will be $17 billion paid out in carbon capture, but that would not be happening without the, the stick from government saying, you must do this or we're going to fine you. And if, if, you, if you do it, we'll reward you with the American taxpayers' money. And, um, you know, right now there's less than... Um, uh, 0.1% of carbon being captured around the world to meet this goal. And there's less than two dozen CO2 carbon capture uh, plants in the world to meet their goal of net carbon neutrality by uh, 2050. They're going to have to have over 2000 of these and they still won't meet it. But in the meantime, we're moving forward to say we have, uh, we're doing what we can for carbon capture the underlying feeling for most people is this is a government grab of land and freedom. And uh, they're fighting back in Iowa, Indiana, Kansas, and some of the others, the Dakotas. Um, they're fighting back on that. And um, 
at another time, we can talk more about the specifics of the politicians. In fact, I'll go into it real quick if you got a minute. Oh, yeah, we all got the, time, man. That's a good run with it. All the Iowa delegates prior to this last vote were 100% against these pipelines going through the areas. Well, when it came time for the vote, these are the ones in the U.S. Congress. When it came time for the vote, they switched their vote, and they all support it. And then you can look at their campaign where the money came in from, uh, and it was the people backing this pipeline. And it's just pay to play. It's just dirty politics. And it's not serving the American people well. It's empowering the government. In fact, Biden has an executive order, uh, I think it's 4807, and it's um, 3030. By 2030, they want to control over 30% of the water and the property in this country. And it's an executive order. And those things need to go away. I mean, there should not be the force of law in those things. I don't know how you get that out in the media. I don't either. Well, up there in um, Iowa, I mean, there was probably 400 people at that meeting. And, and they're mad. I mean, they are they are mad. And the other thing, and this kind of reminded me of Gainesville, is the Iowa Utility Board is an appointed board. They're not elected. And these guys, these three people, on this, there's only three of them, they... They had new people put on there, and then immediately this pipeline went through, got approved. They're unelected bureaucrats that are being fed by the people that are going to receive these billions of dollars. And it's just dirty politics to benefit a few. And it's not going to save the planet. It's not going to, you know, really do a lot with the CO2. And you know where they're doing? You, you know where the majority of the CO2 is going? This, this will kill people. It is going to the Texas oil fields. And they do what they call enhanced oil recovery. So they inject this in there. It's part of fracking. So you're, you're, you're using taxpayers' money to sequester CO2 out of the atmosphere, giving it to an oil company producing fossil fuels that puts it back in. It's just a circle. And it's costing us billions and billions and billions of dollars, and we'll now fix the problem. And then the other thing you brought up was the supplements going to the electric vehicles. Uh, and the batteries. Georgia is getting a billion-dollar battery plant from South Korea, a company called Korea Zinc. Uh, we met with when I was over in South Korea, and they're they're all excited because if it's American-produced, they get the supplements from the American taxpayers in their company in Georgia. Uh, and uh, I think I sent you that that video of Tom McClintock, who's a representative, a Republican from uh, right. California. Yeah, I'll put a link on that because Tom is a very smart guy, very, uh, very articulate. And when he explains that nonsense of the EVs trying to save the planet, they're destroying it by trying to save it. And it's only like a five, 10 minute clip. Um, there's got to be a better way. And I, I promote uh, nuclear energy. You know, if you want to get electricity and get rid of these coal plants, go nuclear. Um, and then the other thing is hydrogen cars, you know, produce hydrogen fuel. Uh, it's a combustible. You can use a combustible engine. The energy output is great. And your byproduct is H2O. I've heard of that. Well, they're all on the bandwagon now, as you say, big bucks and big political corruption. Oh, um, it's as bad as I've ever seen it. Yeah. Well, and then, 
with everything that's going on with our border, with China 90 miles off of uh, Florida building military joint military bain, um, um, military base training camps in Cuba, uh, with the crisis at the border that nobody's doing anything. You know, I, I know you get ticked off and the people I talk to, they're just like, what in the heck is Congress doing? Well, I, I saw Rick Scott, not, not to bash Rick because I like him, but they're doing hearings on the Hill about this, um, this uh, agreement between the uh, Gulf Associations of America uh, moving over to Saudi Arabia. And I'm like, you know, with open borders, with the crisis we have, the fentanyl, our debt, uh, the, the threat of China and what's going on in Ukraine and that, you guys are doing hearings on the golf situation. Uh, I don't play golf. I could care less about it, but I know a lot of people play that. Um, but I don't think that ranks up to a congressional hearing when we have open borders. We have the highest debt we've ever had. We have inflation out of control. We're not energy secure. But by God, we're gonna we're gonna solve the the, <laughs> the the golf debacle. And then they had another hearing not too long ago on the UFOs. And you know, I wish they, I wish there were aliens here. Maybe they could straighten it out. Well, we know about U F. We know about UFOs. Oh yeah, that's right. Nineteen forty-seven. You know, it landed in Gainesville. <laughs> yeah, landed by the Lake of the Stupids here in uh, Gainesville <laughs> and dumped out the genetic material for the current leaders. And then that, that all migrated down to the duck pond area. Yeah, it all went down. Yeah, it all went down the duck pond, and uh, it can't get out. There's no way to get out down there. <laughs> yeah, I love that story. 1947, uh, Lake of the Stupids. Yeah, here we go. Well, talking with Dad Yogi, I'm looking at the chat line. Here. Let me see what's going on here. Uh, <laughs> here, somebody said, "Don't get him started on ethanol." <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I'm just checking. We, we argued about that, but there's so many, so much subsidies going into ethanol that the the farm belt in the Midwest they love it because yeah. they I think they get an extra dollar or three dollars a bushel to produce ethanol corn. So how can you how can you take that away? I mean, it, it's one of those things that. They started a program. Um, you should let the free enterprise determine that. If people want to grow corn for uh, ethanol, go ahead. You know, some of them will go into fuel. Some will go into whiskey. <laughs> Somebody go into whiskey. I like that part. Yeah. Yeah, but don't don't subsidize it. Let it be the free market. But again, the government thinks they know best. And I remember Ronald Reagan. I mean, you know, government is not the solution. It is the problem. Well. Yeah. The Democrats are pushing bigger government, and they're winning on this. They're pushing bigger government because we're smarter than everybody else, and uh, we have the solutions. And then their solutions are really the problems. Got a question coming in on about Ukraine. Yeah. Since you're close to the heartbeat up there, uh, of course, the debate is whether or not they should be in NATO during a war. Um, That's one aspect of it. What are you hearing there in the... uh, all way about this. Well, you hear the one thing is to support uh, Ukraine because it's going to wear out um, uh, Russia and it'll weaken them that much further. Um, but it's just one of those things that, that when it started off, we gave them a little bit of aid, then we gave Russia and bumped up their game, and then we gave more, and some of the NATO countries put in more. 
And now we're at the cluster bomb stage. And cluster bombs are one of those things you wish you could uninvent. Uh, They do a tremendous amount of damage. And then they have unexploded ordnance that we're still cleaning up from the Vietnam War in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. And there's been hundreds of thousands of people killed or maimed by those things. So Russia is using cluster bombs. So now does that justify us supplying cluster bombs? And should it be the United States or should it be under the umbrella of NATO? It should not have the United States on it. It should be NATO. That was what NATO was designed for, even though Ukraine is not a portion of that. Uh, yeah, they tried to, but Russia blocked it, Turkey blocked it. Um, this is one of those things that the harder they strike, we strike back harder. And so that gets back. And then what's the next thing? Putin's going to use uh, uh, tactical limited nuclear bombs, which I don't know how you can call it a, a limited nuclear bomb. It's like being limited pregnant. Uh, you either are or you're not. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, this is one of those things. Again, American leadership should be a lot better. Thank God for President Trump because he had the NATO members put in a lot more money and to pick up their arrears to get current. But now the leadership should be, hey, this is not America's fight. We are part of NATO. We will help, help direct this and let NATO be the umbrella that is supplying Ukraine, not the United States, because if it's the United States, we're inviting retaliation against us. And I think that's what we're seeing with, um, you know, the uh, increased military presence of Iran in the Western Hemisphere in Brazil. And they're going to go to the Panama Canal and be military warships on both sides of the Panama Canal, as is China. And, um, you know, you're seeing the uh, you're going to see a rise in the Cuban military with China down there, uh, giving money down there and aiding that. And so what we're doing is we're increasing the, conf- the confliction zone. And we'll get to a point where there will be something that creates a conflict. And if you listen to all the military leaders and one of the thought tank uh, leaders, uh, Gordon Chang, was saying it's war with China is imminent. I mean, it's coming. And I know Gordon. I've talked to him a lot. He worked with us on our foreign affairs policy. And, um, you know, everything's pointing to that. But again, I've got Congress up here in the Senate doing hearings on the PGA golf tour. <laughs> got him, Mike. Where would that war be over Taiwan? What's that? Yeah, that'll, that'll be the flashpoint, more than likely. Yeah. You know, it'll be because one of the aircrafts of China went over Taiwan and Taiwan shot it down, or China did that to Taiwanese. You know, they've got a very capable military, Taiwan does. It's just small compared to China, or it'll be with one of our military, uh, probably the Navy in the South China Sea. And when that happens, that's it's like um, the Bay of Tonkin, you know, that really escalated the Vietnam War. We're at war now. Uh, we don't like to call it that. But you look at what we're doing, and then you got the dunce in the White House telling everybody we're out of ammunition. Um <laughs> You know, nothing like emboldening your uh, adversaries that could be become your enemies. Uh, we lack leaving, so much leadership right now. And leaving stuff on the desert in Afghanistan didn't help. 50 or $60 billion of stuff. And, of course, the NDAA is coming up, the National Defense Authorization Act, and they're going to they're gonna plus up more money for the military for arms and equipment. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before, I don't care how much it would have cost to bring it back. I would have brought that stuff back. 
and they should have gotten rid of Miley and, you know, Lloyd Austin. And, uh, you know, for them to say that it was too expensive to bring it back, you know, the slap to the American taxpayers, they, yeah, uh, you spent a lot of money on this and it's not worth us, the government to go get it. And we're just going to leave it in the hands of the Taliban. Um, <clears throat> sad days. I had a question here too. Um, since you're there near the heartbeat, um, any indication of how abortion is going to play out in the election? What we're hearing is the abortion is going to be the number one issue to drive the Democrats to the poll. Uh, you know, and God help us if they get a majority in the House and the Senate and they maintain the White House, America will not be a constitutional republic anymore. I mean, you see the nonsense going on now. You see the ineptness of the, uh, the Republicans in the House trying to do anything worthwhile. They have done some few, a few good things, but anything they pass in the House will not make it into law in the Senate because it's controlled um, by Chuck Schumer. So you, you, you put a, uh, Joaquin Jeffers as Speaker of the House, liberal progressive Democrat. You got Chuck Schumer, who is just... He's a dunce, but he's an evil dunce. And then you've got the, the Biden-Harris administration. Um, you know, that's why, you know, you hear it all the time. It's the most important election in our lifetime. But by God, this one is, is I think everyone is, but you see how much worse we are than we were, you know, um, in the Trump years. Um, and thank God he got in there to do what he did with the Supreme Court and some of oh, the yeah. other things. But, um you know, this is, uh, we're at a point now, we're at that inflection point where we stay the constitutional republic we are, or we become the USS of A, the United Socialist States of America that are controlled by Marxists and communists. Did you hear the man on the street in California uh, over the July 4th weekend? He's talking to some of the bright students out there in California and asked him, what do you think about communism? Well, I don't think it's that bad. So you would be okay if we became a communist nation. I don't see a problem with that. It's California. That's an American citizen. Yeah. They don't understand the price of freedom that we pay. You know, um, you know, God help us. You know, we came here to the university in 1961. We had a mandatory course we took called Americanism versus communism. Yeah. Yeah. Great course. Great course. We had great teachers. Dr. Spanier taught my class. And, um, you know, it was just a very very good discussion. I can remember we had real discussions. And that generation of student, we had some guys there who had come back from Korea. And wow. Yeah, they, they had, so they had some, they had uh, some experience, you know. And then not long after that, we had guys who come back in from um, Germany. And um, all that business with protecting the, you know, East and West Germany. I remember they were older and they were, but they were, they really beefed up the conversation because they, they, they knew about a lot about international affairs. And, um, but that's the course we had. I mean, you know. Well, you know, communism, we've got it in this country. Look at the government telling you, um, you got to wear a mask. You've got to get a vaccine. You've got to do this. I mean, you've got to drive in. Uh, you're going to be forced to drive an electric vehicle. Um, if you don't accept their uh, their narrative, 
they turn it into hate speech and they censure you. Look at the amount of censure going on. Look at the amount of corruption. And in, in communism, yeah, you have authoritarian control, but there is so much corruption, so much worse in our country. But we're there. I mean, when the government starts mandating what you must do, you have lost the republic. And I just would encourage the listeners to look at the things that the government is telling you you have to do now compared to 10 years ago. Um, you know, it's frightening is what it is. The problem is that younger generation comes up, the ones that were born after 9-11, they don't know there was not a TSA before. They don't know about these things. And so the educational system is pushing this, uh, this uh, communist manifesto is what I call it. Well, we've certainly enjoyed a discussion today. It's 9.57 almost. Um, about two or three more minutes. Anything you want to wind up with, Ted, that we uh, want to leave everybody thinking about? Yeah, you've got elections coming up. And I think you need to do a scorecard and look at your, your representatives. And if they are just going along with these uh, these crazy uh, programs that are coming out of Washington, supported by the Republican Party. And if they're not challenging them at this point in time in our country, I personally think you need to throw them out. And that's what I told people. If you don't like what I'm doing, if I'm not doing what I told you I would do, throw me out. Get some new people in there. But it's important that you make sure the people you go, you put back in there are the ones that are going to be strong enough to fight back and turn the course of our ship going from that country that we grew up and loved and that gave opportunity and is the beacon of freedom and liberty around the world to where we're going now as just another failed country. Um, and I, I just, it, it rips my heart out to think of where we're at. And, it, and so people have to be engaged. What kind of, what kind of tomorrow do you want for your kids and your grandkids? And um, I'm going to leave it there. Well, that was a great summation, Ted, and have a great trip back. I don't know where you're headed, but I know you're headed somewhere important, and uh, we'll hear about it. I am. We like it. Yo, we like it. Okay, man. Well, we'll look forward to hearing from you. In, uh, All right. Appreciate it. I've been talking with Ted Yoho, a representative now, and in uh, a little room up in D.C. He shows up all kinds of places. and My little cubicle. Interesting in his cubicle. Always has something interesting to say. Um Great show today. Uh, tune in again to the Ward Scott Files. Hope you enjoyed it. Warthog Command Center out. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye.